Awesome. Well, good morning, church. It's still morning. Uh, family, it is my privilege to continue our, our series on In the Beginning. Uh, but, so without further ado, I'm going to commit our time to Jesus in prayer and then we can start today. Father, we are so thankful that we can come together as your people and hear you speak with clarity through your word. Um, Lord, I stand in agreement with Pastor Don when he says that every high thing must come down and every stronghold should be broken. And Father, I pray you would do that through your word, that your word will be sharper than your two-edged sword piercing the hearts of your people this, this morning, Lord. Father, I pray that your word would convict, encourage, reorientate, redirect as well. We love you so much, Lord, and we're so thankful we can hear you speak. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. <clears throat> Thank you. <laughs> Your family, in about four months' time, I am due to get married. I know. I know. Praise the Lord, eh? Every strong thing <laughs> must come down. <laughs> Anyway, I'll, I'll stop singing now. <laughs> four, four months time, family, I'm due to get married. And uh, gearing up to get married, it made me reflect upon the very first time that I met Tumbi in person. And family, as much as I like to say it was a Shine TV romantic comedy Christmas special, if I'm being honest, it was the most awkward day of my life. Now, me and Tumbi met for the first time. I'm oh, sorry, I should say we got to know each other during the first lockdown. She was living in Wellington at the time. And you know, we got to connect and, you know, through countless phone calls and DMing and messaging and all sorts. And your know, family, she really couldn't get enough of me during that time, if, I, if I'm being honest. I don't know why you're shaking your head, love. But anyway. And friend, there was an understanding that we were getting to know each other. But when the travel restrictions finally lifted, I was on the first flight to Wellington. I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to make a statement. I'm going to make a statement. We are going to meet for the very first time at her church service Sunday morning in front of all her friends, in front of the pastors, the leaders. We're going to meet there. I'm going to gather all my pennies. I'm going, to go, I'm going to go to Pandora and buy the best gift that I can. And I'll present her gift to her in the service on Sunday morning. Wow. Thank you, Haley. What a man. <laughs> and I thought I would, I would, she would tremble in the midst of my sort of generosity and kindness and boldness. That was, my, that was the, the plan that I had, family. But lo and behold, family, that did not happen. We met each other for the first time, and we greeted each other with the most awkward side hug you can imagine. We walked in the service together, but nobody is talking. We're not talking to each other. We're not even looking at each other during the service. And anyway, the, the sermon concludes, and we are looking for anybody to talk to besides each other. So there's a very awkward space. And finally, after the service concludes, we make our way to a cafeteria to have lunch. We order our lunch and we sit at a table and we wait. And family, that was a very, very awkward time, put it that way. There was about 10 minutes of awkward silence at that table. And in my effort to break the silence and to rekindle the fire, I looked at Tumbi, I said, Tumbi, you know, <clears throat> you know, your photos don't do you justice. I said, you are far more beautiful in person. Wow. <laughs> you know what she said, family? She looked at me and she said, oh, that's nice. More awkward silence. So anyway, family, we eventually we left the table of silence at the cafeteria and we went for a walk. We walked side by side through the CBD. And whilst it was still very awkward, as we began to walk side by side, there was a comfortability that began to be cultivated. Because of the proximity of walking alongside someone, 
it became very disarming. We actually began to open up. And because you quite literally have to be in step with someone to walk alongside them, there was, a, there was sort of a, a connection that began to develop that eventually cultivated into a oneness between us. Now, family, I'm sure you know this yourself when you're walking with a spouse or a loved one or a friend. Because of the proximity of walking alongside someone, there is a kingship, a connection, a oneness that begins to develop, a vulnerability even. And family, when I reflect upon my first date with Tumbi, what I realized is what fostered that connection was not the grand gestures of romance or the exploits. It was quite literally the journey of walking alongside her. And family, if I'm being honest, for the longest time, this pattern of prioritizing exploits and, and great gestures ahead of actually walking with someone for the longest time defined my relationship with God. When I was younger, I'd have all these sort of grandiose, wide-eyed prophetic words talking about all the great things I would do for God, that I'd, do, that I'd go here, preach here, jump on this, take this territory, all these sort of prophetic words. And family, I would place so much personal stock in those words spoken over me. I became fixated on doing great things for God. But family, the older I get, and by the grace of God, as I've matured in my walk, the more my heart has become dissatisfied and discontent with solely doing exploits in the name of God. The more I grow, family, and the the, the more I go on my journey, the more my heart simply longs to walk with God. Family, St. Augustine said this. He said, the heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Family, your heart will never find rest in exploits and accolades, however noble. It will never find rest in in power, position, or status, however elevated. Your heart will only find rest when it walks with God. Now, family, don't misunderstand me here. Don't, Don't misunderstand me here. Aspiring to do great exploits for God is noble. Advancing the kingdom, commendable. Serving people, non-negotiable. But friend, walking with God is the pinnacle. Friend, a clever man will devise a way to walk to the moon. An audacious man will walk along the steepest ocean floor. But a wise man walks with God. He walks with God. To walk with God, family, means that you have proximity with God. And because you have proximity with God, the voice of God is no longer a whimpering whisper in the wind. It becomes the emphatic, discernible voice of the shepherd. To walk with God means you are moving in the same direction as God because you are in agreement with him. Amos says, how can two walk together unless they agree? To walk with God means you have synergy with God. You have oneness with him. There is deep abiding companionship and even friendship with God. You know, when I, was, uh, when I just came to Faith in Christ family, I used to go to youth group and because I was quite legalistic in my thinking, I would get frustrated and it used to annoy me when I'd be around young people and they would describe Jesus like this. They would say, Jesus is my best friend. He's my BFF. I walk with him. I talk with him. I walk along the beach with him. He is my best friend. He's my BFF. And everybody's having a good time. And I'd be thinking, do you people not revere God at all? Do you have no reverence for God whatsoever? He's not your BFF. He's Al Shaddai. He's God Almighty. He's, he's the Lord of hosts. He's the soon coming King. Now, this was a revelation for me at the time, family, but how many of you know that more than one thing can be true at the same time? <laughs> that Jesus, 
would command my life as Lord, that he would redeem my life as Savior, but he would walk with me through life as friends. Micah 6 tells us, what does the Lord require of you? That you'll do justice, that you'll love kindness, and that you'd humbly walk with God. I want you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 5, verse 21 to 24, where we're going to examine the life of a man who exemplifies the very thing we're talking about. Now, this man family is a revered and somewhat enigmatic and mysterious figure in Scripture. The man goes by the name of Enoch. Now, family, there's very little written about Enoch. But whilst there's very little written about him, he finds himself in the the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. The very first time we come across Enoch, we find him in the book of Genesis chapter 5. But much has happened before then. Not only has creation been completed, but the generations after the fall are beginning to manifest the realities of sin. The first siblings, Cain and Abel, embody the first scene of martyrdom and murder. Adam's family portrait is a broken one. In Genesis chapter 4, however, we read about a figure named Lamech. Now, Lamech is a braggadocious, arrogant, unpleasant figure to say the least. But he cannot be ignored in any meaningful study of Enoch. Because the Bible postures Lamech as the antithesis or opposite to Enoch. Enoch and Lamech are postured as two actors on the same stage, continuing the tension between Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel are not only the sons of Eve, they are the human beginning of two separate kingdoms. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of the evil one. And this tension is continued through the life of Lamech. Lamech is self-exalting. He is boastful. He even brags about allegedly killing someone in Scripture. He is Cain perfected, so to speak. We know this by his own words when he says, if Cain's revenge was sevenfold, then my revenge will be 77-fold. He is self-exalting. The seventh son of Adam from the line of Cain even says that he will execute judgment himself as if he was God. The son Lamech comes through the line of the evil one. But family, the opposite, the antithesis, the balance of Lamech is Enoch. Now Enoch is also the seventh son of Adam, but he comes from the far more faithful line of Seth. In other words, family, if you could set up a family tree of Adam, there would Adam, I'm sorry, Enoch and Lamech will be both both seven generations down, but on opposite sides of the tree. One from the line of Cain and one from the line of Abel. One from a line that was faithful and, from the, and the other from a line that was sinful and rebellious. Enoch finds himself in the line of the faithful. Now, family, all of that begs a question. What made Enoch so special? What was about Enoch that the Bible would set him up as the very antithesis of Lamech? What is it about Enoch that despite not having the leadership exploits of Moses, the audaciousness of Elijah, the legacy of Abraham, the prophetic insight of Daniel, the wisdom of Solomon, despite not having any of these things or performing any exploits that we would consider spectacular, that he would find himself in the hall of faith. What is it about Enoch that despite only literally having 10 verses written about him, that the Bible would revere him as an example that we are to aspire to? What makes him so special? Well, family, those are all good questions. I'm glad you asked them. Here's the answer. Verse verse 23 says this. Enoch walked 
with God. Verse 24 says it again. Enoch walked with God. The legacy, the summation, the epithet, the totality of this man's life could be summed up in four words. Enoch walked with God. Enoch had deep, abiding, intimacy, connection, fellowship, oneness with God. And family of Enoch, under the old covenant, could enjoy such intimacy, connection, and oneness with God then surely as the people of God who know the redemption of the Son, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and the love of the Father could be expected to walk in the same level of intimacy as well. We're going to walk through our text, family. We're going to derive some insights that describe the nature of Enoch's walk. Is that okay? Four quick points, Father. Point number one. Enoch's walk with God was separate. It was set apart. You know, family, when you walk with God, it will separate you from people. It will set you apart. It will distinguish you from other people. Your family, when you're in the company of someone who truly walks with God, there is this intangible, unquantifiable something about them that is both comforting and convicting at the same time. There's been times, Father, where I've been in the presence of people and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I just can't put my finger on it, but I get the distinct impression that they are closer to Jesus than I am. There are peculiar people. There's something awesome and something intangible about them. They stand out. And family, when you read this genealogy in Genesis chapter 5, you, you discover that Enoch stands out in more ways than one. Out of the 10 men who feature Fano in their genealogy, all 10 of them except one follow the same established pattern. Same pattern. All of them except one. It says, this is the pattern, Fano. It says that they lived... They begot children, and in three words, and then they died. That's the pattern. It begins with Adam in chapter and verse one, where it says, Adam lived, he begot children, he begot a son who bore his likeness in Seth, and then he died. Seth lived, he begot children, he had a son, a son called Enosh, and then he died. Enosh lived. <laughs> Enosh, he lived as well. He begot a son named Canaan, and then he died. Canaan lived, he begot, he begot Mahalaleh, and then he died. Mahalaleh lived, he begot Jared, and then he died. Jared lived, he begot Enoch, and then he died. Same pattern. But family, when we finally come to Enoch, Enoch breaks this established pattern. Where it should have said, family, Enoch walked with God, and then he died. It reads, Enoch walked with God, and then he was not. For the Lord took him. Wow. We even go further, family, in the genealogy. It talks about Methuselah, uh, the son of Enoch. Noah, Lamech, they lived, they beget children, and then they died. Family, Enoch stands out as a beacon of light in what is quite literally a cemetery. He stands out. He is distinct. And family, when you walk with God, you will be distinct. It will separate you. It will set you apart. But family, not only when you are set apart, family, not only will you stand out with people, more importantly, friends, you will stand out with God. You know, family, when you go through that genealogy, there are some exceptional men featured, extraordinary men even. There is Adam, who was quite literally the first man to ever exist. Extraordinary. 
There is Methuselah, who was quite literally the oldest man to ever live. Again, extraordinary. There is Noah, who builds an ark to shield himself from the judgment to come and is used of God to perpetuate the human species once again. Again, extraordinary. There are some extraordinary people on this list. But then you see, family, there are some people who are not so extraordinary, ordinary even. Men like Jared and Lamech and Seth, ordinary people. You have the extraordinary and then you have the ordinary. And family, from the world's perspective, most people fall in one of those two categories. Most people are either, from a world's perspective, extraordinary or ordinary. But people of God, I'm here to tell you, there is a third category of people that in the eyes of God outweighs, outmeasures, outshines, transcends categories of ordinary and extraordinary. And it is a category of people who walk with God. Enoch was not an exceptional man because of his extraordinary exploits. He is an ordinary man who walked with God, and we are still talking about him today. Amen. Second point. Enoch's walk with God was submitted. Your family, it's impossible to walk with God unless you first submit to the leading of God. Now, notice it does not read that God walked with Enoch. It reads that Enoch walked with God. He submitted to his leading. Notice it does not say family as well. It does not say that Enoch walked ahead of God, as if to presume on God or assume on God. I think many of us, family, there have been times where we could be guilty of walking ahead of God, as if to presume on Him. We devise our plans, and then we ask God to bless them. We conjure up a ministry, and then we expect God to show up when in reality He didn't birth the thing to begin with. We presume on Him. We go ahead of God. Family, Enoch didn't do that. Nor did Enoch walk after God, as if the presence of God was something to capture or pursue because it was elusive. Family, the presence of God is not elusive as of something to be captured or pursued. If you know Jesus, you carry the presence of God wherever you go. You simply have to decide, family, to be in agreement with his leading. Enoch didn't walk after God. He didn't walk ahead of God. Enoch walked with God. He was in agreement with God. He submitted to his leading. In fact, Jesus even says this. He says, listen, if you want to come after me, if you want to follow me, if you could even say, if you want to walk with me, then you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. You know, the word deny family in Greek means to refuse to associate with. If you want to walk with God, if you want to come after Jesus, then you have to refuse to associate with the person you once were. To walk with Jesus means to submit to the Lordship of Christ. To walk in the Holy Spirit means to be led by the Spirit. And to walk with the Father means to sit in your identity as a son. We walk with God by submitting to his leading. Amen? Third point. Enoch's walk with God was staunch. Enoch's walk with God was staunch. Again, family, I thought about using the word steadfast, but I remembered we're in Manurewa, so this word staunch might be better. I thought it would be better. So we're going to go staunch. Your family, Enoch lived during a time called the Antediluvian period, which is the period just before the flood we read about in Genesis chapter 1 to 6. Your family, it is a time where debauchery, sin, and perversion is rampant. It is embedded in the very culture. Violent intent, sexual perversion, idolatry, define that very time. 
In fact, when Jesus describes this era in Luke chapter 17, he says the people, they ate, they drank, they married who they wanted. There was no fear of God. No second thought about the the warnings of judgment to come. In Genesis chapter 6, when it describes this era, it says there was great wickedness upon the land, that the only intention of every heart was evil continually. In fact, we even read, family, that it says that God experienced regret of his creation that it mourned the heart of God to see how corrupt his people had become. Some people have estimated that there could be anywhere from 700 million to 4 billion people in existence during this time. So here you have family, hundreds of millions of people caught up in their own corruption, sin, and debauchery, whose chief heart desire is only evil continually, worshiping whatever they want, satisfying their sexual proclivities however they want, doing whatever they want, This is the context Enoch finds himself in. Your family, it's one thing to walk with God in the company of people who also walk with God. It is quite another thing to walk with God in the company of people who despise him. The conditions of the surrounding culture family for Enoch were not conducive to a relationship with God. Enoch could not have asked for more harsher antagonistic conditions in order to please God. But family, because Enoch had a staunch conviction, he could say, you all might be walking that way, but I'm going to walk with God. There may be evil encroaching, but I'm going to walk with God. There may be sexual perversion that may seek to tempt me, but I'm going to walk with God. This wicked system may seek to claim me, but I'm going to walk with God. Enoch could walk with God, family, because he had the staunch, resolute conviction that he refused to walk with anything else. He walked with God, family. He had a staunch conviction that was not based on circumstance. It was based on his conviction that he would walk with God. And family, for those of us, family, who are feeling the the sway of a world going one way, for those of us who are feeling the pressure of a world that would like to swing us one way and take us another direction, friend, God is saying, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, walk with him. If it is Baal, follow him. The world may be walking one way, but family, God is saying, walk with me. Oh, but it's so, oh, but it's so difficult. Yeah, but my yoke is easy. Walk with me. Oh, but everybody else is doing it. Hey, but you're not everybody else. Walk with me. But I just want to live my life. Yeah, but your life is bought with a price. Walk with me. Oh, but I just want to try new experiences. Friend, you've tried enough new experiences and they always lead to the same old places. God is saying, walk with me and I will truly do a new thing. Amen. Walk with God, family. Family, God is saying, listen, don't walk with the world to be counted as one of them. Come out from among them and walk with God. Amen. Walk with God. Point number four. Fourth and final point. If I could have the band join me on stage, please. Family, Enoch's walk with God was a statement. There was a statement. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, family, it reads that Enoch had a testimony. Now, in our church circles, we often hear the word testimony. We think of you know, reciting our journey with God, you know, how we met Jesus and our journey before and after. But family, Enoch's testimony was not the static recitation of his journey with God. His testimony was the unfolding dynamic witness, not only to the goodness of God, but to a life that was pleasing to God. Hebrews 11.5 uh, 11, says, For this was his testimony, that he pleased God. Family, many of us have a testimony, but do you have this testimony? 
that you lived, life that you lived a life that was pleasing to him? Could it be said of me, family? Could it be said of you that you lived a life that was pleasing to God? Family, would God find pleasure in your pursuits? Would he delight in your decisions? Do you have a walk with God that is set apart, submitted, anchored in staunch conviction? A walk that is a statement that pleases God. In the text, family, when it says that Enoch walked with God and the Lord took him. Hebrews 11 tells us he didn't taste death. The Lord translated him or took him or he was not. Your family, I wish I could give you some kind of theology as to the significance of God taking him that way. I wish I could give you some sort of application or some kind of Christological typology that you could apply to this event. I'm going to be honest, family. About 20 commentaries later, I am none the wiser as to the significance exactly of God taking Enoch that way. I didn't find anything that I personally found that convincing. But family, I do know this. That Enoch pleased God, and thus it would have pleased God to take him. Your one preacher said this. He said, Enoch, God was walking with Enoch, and then God said to Enoch, you know, Enoch, it's a lot closer to my house than yours from here. Why don't you come back with me? And the Lord took him. Apparently, because Enoch had such communion and fellowship and oneness with God, I know it would have pleased God to call him home. And family, when God finally calls you home, will it please him to do so? Will your audience with the triune God simply be the natural organic extension of a life that walked with him? Could it be said of you, could it be said of me, that our life would echo the sentiments, well done, good and faithful servant, because our walk with God pleased him? Amen? Father, we're so thankful, Lord, that you are a God who is relational, that, the, that Al Shaddai himself, the triune God of Scripture, the one and true living God, would humble himself in order to walk with you and I. Father, we pray, Lord, that we would partake in your invitation to walk with you, to do life with you, to talk to you, to commune with the one true living God. We love you so much, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you'd convict your people, if they have not already, to partake in this invitation to walk with God. And the people of God said, Amen.